so good to have Jimmy Hauk here with us. Uh, he hails from Jackson, uh, Jackson Michigan. Uh, he's happily married uh, for seven years to his wife, Kim, who just departed with the children. Uh, they have three kids, Sullivan, uh, five, Genevieve, three, who were singing beautifully up here. I don't know if you could hear it, but it was, it was wonderful. Uh, and Scarlet, too, not yet quite singing. But uh, he's currently serving locally at Bethany Baptist Church, uh, high school minister. Uh, he graduated from Moody Bible Institute in 2009. He's working hard to complete his MDiv from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary online. He loves to read, travel, try out new restaurants, and get into deep, deep discussions. Maybe you'll expand upon those type of deep discussions. Come minister to us, Jimmy. Just share with us what the Lord's laid on your heart this morning. Good morning. It's great to be with you all this morning. I bear uh, greetings from Bethany Baptist Church. So um, I've uh, had the, the great joy of getting to know Jason a little bit better over the last year. Um, uh, he's, uh, we connected um, a couple times, and he's really become a sweet friend. So I'm um, honored to be able to, to step in for him a little bit this morning and, and worship with you. Um, as we get into our text, so um, so something that I've noticed as, as Americans, we we tend to love our one-liners, don't we? Right? We we tend to be pretty brand con- conscience, conscious. So whether that's you know have it your way or just do it, you know we're we're always looking for a phrase that says it all, right? Social media helps us with that and makes us all really good at being brand creators, but um, this, I think this, this uh, enters into the church a little bit as well, so let's say, let's say you, you want to get a, a mug, a bracelet, or a t-shirt that carries the Christian message, right? Let's say you were going to go online, you're, you're going to search for something that, that, that says the gospel. You, you might come across the phrase, the simple phrase, Jesus saves, Right? You'll, you'll find that all over, right? I've, have you ever seen the little t-shirt that uh, little kids wear that say, Jesus saves bro, right? Well, it's a great phrase. I love that phrase. In fact, I, I think, you know, you could, in some ways, it summarizes the gospel in two words, right? Jesus saves. But this morning, I want to introduce you to another one-liner. Are you ready? God the Father saves. Now, it's not as catchy, right? So I, I doubt you'll, you're going to find it on a little t-shirt, but it's just as true. Amen. It's just as true. God the Father saves. And as we'll see in our passage, this truth that God the Father saves, I believe that the Apostle Paul sees that as, as like gasoline to throw under the fire of Christian th- joy and thanksgiving, Right? So um, the focus of our attention this morning is going to be on Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. But uh, please turn with me to Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And um, I'm actually going to be reading in the NASB, so I, I hope you'll be gracious with me if you have the ESV or any other translation, and you'll, you'll just ignore the differences in what I read, okay? But... Um, Colossians, we're going to start with verse 9 in in, uh, chapter 1. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, 
We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he, that is the Father, for he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here Paul is um, still in the process of introducing himself and his letter, the epistle to the Colossians. Beginning with chapter 1, verse 3, he's been sharing with them about how they have been a part of his prayer life. He's been praying about them ever since he got reports of their faith in Christ, their love for the saints, for other Christians, and their hope that they've been storing up in heaven. He's been praying for them and he's been giving thanks for them. These reports have thrilled his heart. And, and this thanksgiving has led Paul to have a really active interest in them. Maybe a little bit like I've had an active interest in you guys since I've come to know about fellowship for really since I moved to Peoria, right? I told a brother earlier, I, I've, uh, I've loved you guys from a distance. I've never been able to join you for a Sunday morning, but I've, but I've been aware of your faithfulness as a church, right? Well, Paul, in the same way, is, is filled with thanksgiving for these Colossians, even though he's never met them, right? And this, this interest has led him to, to, to intercede passionately for them. And verses 9 through 14, which is what we just read, it details what this intercession has looked like. Paul has been asking God to fill these people in Colossae with the knowledge of his will, with the knowledge of God's will, because he knows that that will lead to, to them being able to walk in a manner worthy of Christ, pleasing to King Jesus. In verses 10 through 12, Paul describes four features of a life that is worthy and pleasing to Jesus Christ. It's a life that is bearing fruit in all good work. It's a life that is increasing in the knowledge of God. It's not static, but increasing. It's a life that is strengthened by God's power so that Christians are able to endure and, and suffer with patience. And, and it's a life in which they are able to, last but not least, and this is where we're going to focus on this morning. It's a life in, where Paul says, they will, they will be people who give thanks to the Father. Jesus loves his Father. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, something you, will see, something you see is that Jesus loves his Father. And something that pleases Jesus is when his disciples 
or love his father too and give thanks to his father too, right? And so Colossians 1, 12 through 14, which is where we're camping out, it's a, it's a digression for Paul where he, he can't seem to just stop and list off a few reasons why God the Father deserves their gratitude. Now we might ask ourselves, why this digression? Why does he stop and list off these, these, these reasons why the Father deserves their thankfulness? Well, I think it's because there is a type of thankfulness that is hollow and inauthentic. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe you've, maybe you've, you've had your, your kids or your, your, your family members or friends give you this kind of thankfulness. Where maybe on the one hand it's so general that it, it doesn't mean anything, Right? Because they're not, they're, not, they're not able to tell you why they feel thankful. And so you think, are they really thankful? Or maybe it's, it's specific, but it seems to be without heart, right? And so they say thank you, but it feels a little bit more like duty. I know that I've been guilty of that. I remember as a kid, my grandmother always wanted a thank you note, and I would, I would write one. But I'm thankful that she couldn't see me complaining as I did. Hopefully she was deceived into thinking I was a gracious grateful grandson. Um, I think I would be today, but anyways. So the point is that this kind of thankfulness is not what Paul has in, in mind for the, for the Christian. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, Paul helps the Colossians avoid shallow thanksgiving by highlighting three actions, or in your, in your outline, divine works. Of the Father, that, that God the Father has undertaken in order to save those who have faith in His Son. So, first of all, the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Secondly, the Father has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And third, the Father has transferred us into the kingdom. Of his beloved son. Now my aim for us this morning. Is for us to just take some time. To worship together. To savor these three actions of the father. So that our thanksgiving today. This morning and throughout this week. Will be genuine. Heartfelt. And therefore pleasing. To the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's take each action, action one by one and consider what the, what the Father has done for us. First, he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, I know when I think of an inheritance, I typically think of parents that have left their resources and belongings to their children. Now, each child is already qualified to lay claim to the inheritance. Why? Be- Because they are the legal child of the deceased. They're qualified. If the inheritance is for the children, then there's only one way for someone to gain access to that inheritance. They have to be numbered among the children. Now, that could be possible through adoption. It could be possible through marriage. There's various ways, but... There's only one way to gain the inheritance of my children. You must be one of my child, one of my children. In the same way, the only way to gain access to the inheritance of the saints is to be numbered among the saints. The word qualified here in the Greek 
It means to be made sufficient or to be made, to be made fit for something. It means that a standard has been met, right? My wife and I were recently at Mackinac Island, and if we wanted to eat at the Grand Hotel in the evening, there was a standard that had to be met. I needed to have a suit, coat, and tie. And my wife had to have a dress. Without it, we were not qualified to be there, right? In verse, and according to verse 12, Paul writes that the Father has qualified the Colossians to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And therefore, there's an obvious implication that we have to embrace. God is saying that he has made these formerly pagan, idol-worshipping Colossians into saints. Sometimes as Protestants, we don't use the word saint very often. But brothers and sisters, we should. We should. The word saint literally means a person who is holy or set apart. Throughout the New Testament, it's the word that is regularly used to refer to all Christians. Whether you feel like it or not, if you're in Christ, you're a saint this morning. What an amazing thing that sinners like you and me can be taken and qualified to be called saints. It's worth stopping and asking the question, how? Knowing what you know about yourself, right? Knowing what I know about myself, how is this possible that I, that you, can look in the mirror and think, I am a saint qualified by the Father to be called so? Well, if we skip down a few verses, Paul's going to make it very clear how the Colossians and, and therefore how we have been made holy, which is what it means to be qualified, to be called a saint. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. Just look down. Colossians 1, 21 through 22. We see there, it says this, it says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, which is true for you and me, Engaged in evil deeds, which is true for you and me. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body. That is Christ has reconciled you in his fleshly body. Through death. In order to present you before him. Holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So how did the Father make saints out of sinners? Well, he sent Jesus, his Son, to die for them and to therefore reconcile them to himself. You see, when we are united to Christ by faith, his body is now our body. And praise God, he is so holy that his holiness extends and covers us. You see, any sinner plus Christ equals saint. Amen? That's what it means to be qualified, right? That's what it means to be qualified. But before we look at the next divine action, let's pause and ask, what have we been qualified for? Because it's a whole lot better than being qualified to eat at the Grand Hotel at Mackinac Island, let me tell you. In other words, we need to ask, what is this inheritance that belongs to the saints? The key word is that the inheritance, or the key phrase, is that the inheritance is in light. Now, light 
is often used throughout the Bible to describe the presence of God. We were singing about it this morning. Light is often used throughout the Bible to, to, to help us picture the eternal glory of his, of his presence. So quickly, I'm not going to read, them, read these passages to you, but I want to reference them. You can write them down and look at them later. 1 Timothy 6.16 says that God alone possesses immortality and dwells in inapproachable light. Psalm 104, too, teaches us that God wraps himself with light as a garment. And then 1 John 1.5 goes so far to describe it this way, to say that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Friends, the greatest gift that God can give to humanity is not streets of gold. The greatest gift that God can give to humanity is not even the forgiveness of our sins. The greatest gift that he can give to all of humanity is the gift of himself. One writer says it this way, that God is the gospel. That's true. The gift of his own presence is the greatest gift. It's what he has qualified us for. That is our inheritance. In the garden, our first parents enjoyed this wonderful gift as God walked with them in the cool of the day. But this privilege was lost when they they sinned against God and, and therefore all of humanity lost and was disqualified from the presence of God and his holiness. Throughout the whole Bible, we see God graciously taking sinners and transforming them into saints so that they may enter into his presence. He always did this by faith. This is the purpose of the tabernacle. This is the purpose of the temple, of the sacrifices. Sacrifices of blood that pointed to the future sacrifice of Christ, which was trusted by Old Old Testament saints by faith, allowed them to enter in some way the very presence of God. And as we read in Colossians 1, 21 and 22, this is the purpose of the body of Christ, to make a way for sinners to be brought back into the presence of God, holy, blameless, and above reproach. By the, by the Father's divine work, therefore, our future has been secured. We have been qualified to enter into the eternal kingdom of God and, and uh, that will be revealed at the end of time. But God has not only acted to save us by securing our future, he's also rescued us from the demons of our past, which is the second divine action I want to call to your attention. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Now, as I considered this, I, I thought of um, a number of friends that I, that, that I have that are part of my wife and I, our life, that have been involved in, in foster care and adoption. Now, a very sad but common reason why children are taken from their, their birth mother is due to the use of drugs and alcohol um, during the pregnant, their pregnancy. And this, because this can significantly harm the baby while in the womb. And therefore, when a child is born initially under the authority of its mother, by law, a judge can intervene 
and can actually terminate the rights of a parent in order to protect that child. But brother and sister, brothers and sisters, as horrifying as it sounds, the devil himself had parental rights over you and me. Do you realize that? When we were born into this world. That's why, the, that's why Jesus calls the devil the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verses 31. and chapter 14, verses 30 of John. and John 16, verse 11. And why the apostle John, in his epistle, calls the devil the father of those who prefer lies to the truth and who make a practice of sinning. Which, let's not forget, was me and you. In John chapter 1, again, verses 3, 8 through 10. Now, what does the devil have the authority to do with his parental rights? Hebrews 2, 14 through 15 seem to indicate that the devil has the authority to kill or to call for the death in any ways and to make people afraid of death. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he's described as a roaring lion that is constantly looking to devour people. Now, unlike a, a human judge who may terminate the rights of an abusive parent by appealing to the law from the safety of his or her courtroom, God must get personally involved in order to rescue us because Friends, the law is actually on the side of the devil. Romans 5.12 indicates that when Adam and Eve sinned, that guilt was passed on to all their descendants. So that when I was born, I was already guilty by connection to our, my first parents, Adam and Eve. Not only that, but Romans 3.23 declares what we all, I think, sense in our gut to be true, right? We all not only have become guilty by association, but we have all, if we live long enough, have, which by, usually by two, have personally rebelled against God, just like Adam and Eve. Therefore, the verdict of Romans 6.23 is a terrifying reality, is it not? If the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, then unlike the innocent child taken from an abusive home, the law cannot protect me against the devil's hatred and against the devil's accusation. Therefore, that God the Father has rescued us from the dominion of darkness is absolutely astonishing. Look at the way Paul describes the actions of the Father and of Christ in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Look at this with me. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Look what it says. When you, Colossians, brothers and sisters at Fellowship Bible Church, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, the Father, made you alive together with him, that is Christ, having forgiven us all our transgressions. How? How? Having canceled out the certificate of debt, the Romans 6.23 debt. 
having having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way. How? Having nailed it to the cross. And when he did that, look what it says. When he did that, he had disarmed the rulers and authorities and the father made a public display of them. Having triumphed over them through him. The rulers and authorities in this text should be understood as Satan and his demons. The cross breaks the power of the dominion of darkness. Therefore, we are rescued from that dominion. And it does so because all of the just consequences of our sins have been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. So when, the sat- when Satan comes and says, look what this person has done, Christ says, it's been paid. You've got nothing to say. Silence. And when the devil comes to you and to me and tries to manipulate us because of our fears of death, we can say, silence, devil. I'm going to rise. I've been, qualified by the, I've been qualified by my father for the inheritance of the saints and light. I'm not afraid of losing out in this world. I'm not crushed by my sufferings. I'm not, I'm not crushed by fear of missing out. I have the inheritance of the saints in light. And so his power is broken. We are rescued. Because, the, because God the Father saves, our future is secure, our past has been dealt with. But not only that, our salvation is to be tasted and enjoyed right here, right now. And that's because if we are in Christ, then even as we go through our daily tasks, our mundane tasks, we must remember that spiritually speaking, he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thinking again as about children, poor children who have been exposed to alcohol and drugs within the womb. The truth is that oftentimes they will struggle and suffer with um, long-lasting, slowly diminishing consequences. These effects may be cognitive. They may be emotional. They may be social, um, physical, or all of the above. However, oftentimes there is a difficult but hopeful road to overcoming these challenges. Often... If a child is able to be moved into a loving, stable home with access to nutrition, medical care, therapy, often there's hope for them to experience freedom from some or maybe even all of the effects of what they've experienced. Brothers and sisters, we are like orphans that have been removed from the household of Satan and have been transferred under the loving, into the loving care of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like children experiencing the long-term effects of abuse, our battle with sin and its effects, are not, it will not be over in this life. This is, this is, that is not what it means to be transferred into the kingdom of Christ. And this is important, brothers and sisters, because a lot of us can struggle with assurance Because we're expecting a level of freedom that is for our inheritance in the saints in light, right? However, 
what it does mean is that we, have, we now have a hope for the future. And we now, and now the blessings of Christ begin to set us free from the consequences of our bondage to sin and death. We are beginning the road. Now, some have noticed, uh, some commentators have noticed that the Apostle Paul, he seems to distinguish in his writings throughout his letters uh, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom of Christ typically refers to this present phase of our salvation in which the blessings are only beginning to be experienced and realized. Whereas the kingdom of God is typically a phrase that Paul reserves for the final phase of our salvation. It, and we see this, for instance, in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 24 through 26. We read there that once Christ has completely defeated his enemies, the final enemy being death itself, it says that he will take his kingdom, his kingdom, and he will offer it up to God the Father. Amen. And it is then when we will begin the glorious and eternal era of the kingdom of God. Therefore, in Colossians 1, 13 through 14, when Paul informs the Colossians that God has transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son, it is the kingdom of Christ. Therefore, the point is that their victory over Satan, sin, and death is assured, but maybe not perfectly yet expressed. They are not yet in the kingdom of light that they've been qualified to inherit. They're not yet free from the pain of a fallen world. As the Apostle Paul wrote, the devil still prowls around seeking to harm them. And therefore, Paul still has reason in his letter to be concerned about his welfare, about their welfare, which is why he wrote the book. Right? And it's why he says in Colossians 2, 1, that he, though never meeting them, struggles spiritually on their behalf. And, and why their former pastor, Epaphras, is literally, according to Colossians 4.12, is literally laboring for them in, in, in his prayers. But the fact that they've been transferred into the kingdom of Christ is not without present benefits. In fact, in verse 14, Paul highlights two awesome benefits that they don't have to wait for. First, in Christ, they have redemption. Secondly, in Christ, they have forgiveness of sins. Now, we get the word redemption from the Greek word uh, apolutrosis. The word is used all over the New Testament. It's a very common word. It's used in reference to our salvation. And the word would have caused the Colossians to picture the, the, the purchased freedom of a slave. Paul wanted them to know that while they were, they were once a slave to sin and death and at the mercy of the spirits of darkness, they are now free. Now, what is the nature of that freedom? Just a few things, uh, broad strokes from the New Testament. We see that the redeemed are not yet free from suffering, but we are free from purposeless suffering. That's what the redeemed know that their pain means something and will be used for their good. We learn that in Romans 8 and James 1, 4 through 5. The redeemed are not yet free from death, 
We die like the, like the lost. But we are free to face death without fear, which is what Hebrews 2.14 teaches us. The redeemed are not yet free from temptation, but we are free now to conquer temptation by the power of the Spirit. That's what 1 Corinthians 10.13 teaches us. Also Romans 8, right? We now can listen to the voice of the Spirit and say no to temptation in ways that we couldn't do when we were under the dominion of darkness, sold as slaves to sin. This freedom to conquer sin leads us to the second benefit that we experience right now in the kingdom of Christ. And that is that we can count on our king to forgive us of our sins. There is hope for us when we fail and give in to temptation under the kingdom of Christ. There's hope for us when our excuses come up short and when our comparisons to others leave us ashamed. We have hope because we have a kind and good king who has already reconciled us to himself through his death. In the words of St. Paul in, in Romans 5.10, if, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through, his, through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. That is the truth that drives the saints who sins continually back into the arms of their king. In this life. In the world apart from Christ. There is no such hope. At best we're told. The world is told to forgive themselves. Yet. Most people are not quite able to do that. Because their consciences just won't allow them to. And they struggle with self-condemnation. That they just try to ignore. And there's various ways that we do that. Through entertainment. Through giving ourselves to work. Through, through poor Practices like alcoholism, right? But we want to distract ourselves in the world from the reality that we are condemned. In the world, there's only forgiveness for those who sinned in small ways or in ways that the reigning culture is deemed to be in, insignificant. And you think about that. That's, that's a really terrible place to be because that tends to change. Brothers and sisters, 50 years ago, Someone struggling with homosexuality would have been outright rejected in the world. The only place that a homosexual person would have found grace and forgiveness and love, you know where it would have been? In the church, in a faithful gospel preaching church. In the world, rejection 50, 60 years ago. Well, not today. Today, someone who is a racist is beyond grace, is beyond mercy in the eyes of the world. Right? That's the reigning sin in our culture that is just beyond, beyond God's grace and mercy to save and to transform. But the truth is that in the kingdom of Christ, there is hope for all sinners Amen. who come under the transforming and cleansing blood of Christ. Redemption and forgiveness, these are the treasures that saints get to enjoy right now while recognizing that what is coming in the future is even better, 
We get to enjoy these treasures because God the Father has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Friends, according to the gospel, Jesus saves. Amen? Amen. But also according to the gospel, the Father saves. And according to the Bible, our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, he desires and is pleased when we give his Father, who he loves, the thanksgiving that he deserves. There's this false notion out there that God the Father only brings judgment, while the Son only brings love and grace. And, and there can be this picture in some people's minds that at the cross, Jesus, the Son, stepped in before the Father and says, No, don't hurt them. Put it on me. And the father said, oh, okay. Right? And it's not true. It's not true at all. The truth is that salvation is just as much as, just as much a work of God the father as God the son. And Revelation will teach us that judgment is just as much a work of God the son as God the father. There's no division between the father and the son. They're in agreement. Perfect agreement. They're not the divine good cop, bad cop. Therefore, let's rejoice in the love of God this week. Let's rejoice in the love of Jesus, who redeems us and forgives us by his own blood. But let's remember that the Father is the one that transferred us into the kingdom of Jesus. The Father is the one who rescued us from the dominion of darkness. The Father is the one that qualified us to one day inherit, take up our inheritance in, the, in, in his presence as saints. And let us, wor- let us walk worthy of Christ by, by remembering to offer sincere and heartfelt thanks to the Father for all of these incredible divine works by which we have been saved. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, hallowed be your name. Father, you are in heaven, we are on earth. Lord, we are limited. And yet your love and your faithfulness is without measure. Father, we are pressed um, in our in our day-to-day jobs, our families, our experiences, by our culture. We are pressed. We are pressed um, to compromise, Lord. But would you help us, Father, to savor again this morning and throughout this week your grace, your love, your salvation, so that our hearts would be so full of thanksgiving that we would not compromise, but we would cling to your supremacy, your sufficiency. God, thank you for my brothers and sisters. What a sweet thing to be in their presence, to worship with them this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.